Chapter 5b of Native Races and the War by Josephine Elizabeth Butler. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bill Mosley. There was a closer contact in Edinburgh with South Africa than elsewhere, owing to the constant presence at that university of a large number of students from South Africa. A public meeting was held in Edinburgh among the speakers, whereat were Bishop Cotterell, who had lived many years in South Africa, Mr. Gifford, who had been a long time in Natal, Professor Calderwood, and Dr. Blakey, biographer of Dr. Livingston. The venerable Mr. Cullen, the first missionary traveler in Bechuanaland, who had often entertained Dr. Moffat and Dr. Livingston in his house, was present to express his interest in that country. There were the kindest expressions used toward our Dutch fellow-subjects, but grave condemnation was expressed of the Transvaal policy towards the colored people in making it a fundamental law that they were not to be equal to the whites either in church or state. A South African committee was formed in London from which a largely supported address was presented to Mr. Gladstone. The High Commissioner for Bechuanaland gave his impressions at several different times during that and the preceding year on the subject of the constant illegal passing of the western boundary line of the Transvaal by the Boers. Readers will remember that the delimitation of the western boundary of the Transvaal was a fixed condition of the convention of 1881, a convention which was continually violated by the Boers. No rest was permitted for the poor natives of the different tribes on that side, the Boers' land hunger continuing to be one of their strongest passions. The High Commissioner wrote, quote, If Matsioa and Mankarone were now absorbed, Banakwani, Makobi, and Bareki would soon share the same fate. Hazaitsiwi and Seychelles would come next. So long as there were native cattle to be stolen and native lands to be taken possession of, the absorbing process would be repeated. Tribe after tribe would be pushed back and back upon other tribes or would perish in the process until an uninhabitable desert or the sea were reached as the ultimate boundary of the Transvaal state. Quote. The manifesto presented by the Transvaal delegates to the English people convinced no one, and its tone was calculated rather to beget suspicion. The following is an extract from that document. Quote, the horrible misdeeds committed by Spain in America, by the Dutch in the Indian archipelago, by England in India, and by the southern planters in the United States, constitute an humiliating portion of the history of mankind, over which we as Christians may well blush, confessing with a contrite heart our common guiltiness. The labors of the anti-slavery and protection of the Aborigines societies, which have been the means of arousing the public conscience to the high importance of the matter, cannot be, according to our opinion, sufficiently lauded and encouraged. 
the manifesto then goes on to meet the charges concerning slavery and ill-treatment of natives brought against the transvaal by a flat denial they may be true they say quote, as to actions done long ago and they humbly pray to the lord god to forgive them the sins that may have been committed in hidden corners believe us therefore gentlemen when we say that the opposition to our government is caused by prejudice and fed by misunderstanding if you leave us untrammeled we hope to god that before a new generation has passed a considerable portion of our natives in the transvaal will be converted to christianity at least our government is preparing arrangements for a more thorough christian mission among them a public meeting was held at the mansion house called by the lord mayor sir r fowler at which the right hon w e forster referring to the sand river and the other conventions said quote, can anything be more grossly unfair and unjust than on the one hand to hand over these native people to the transvaal government and on the other hand to do our utmost to prevent them from defending themselves when their rights are attacked i cannot conceive any provision more contrary to that principle of which we are so proud british fair play speaking of the treatment of the bechuanaland people by the boers he said quote, the story of these men is a very sad one i would rather never allude to it again he then referred to quote, the settlement of the western boundary of the transvaal by governor keat and the immediate repudiation of it by the transvaal rulers then came the praetoria convention only two years ago which added a large block of native land to the transvaal that was not enough freebooters came over mostly from the transvaal and afterwards from other parts of the country representations and remonstrances were made to the transvaal government there was a non possumus reply we cannot stop them we seem to have good ground for believing that the freebooters were stimulated by the officers of the transvaal government the result was that the native chiefs of the people lost by far the larger portion of their land they appealed to our government and we did nothing there came again and again despairing appeals to england and how were they met i can only believe it was through ignorance of the question that it was possible to meet them as we did it was proposed to meet them by a miserable compensation in money or in land not to the people but to the few chiefs who to their credit as a lesson to us a great christian country said we will not desert our people even if you desert us then there followed utter disorder and disorganization in bechuanaland then came in the transvaal government and virtually said give us the country and we will maintain order if owners of the land object we will put them down as rebels we will take their land as we have taken mapox and apprentice their children you have got tired of these quarrels leave them to us we will put a stop to them by protecting the robbers who have taken the land that practically is the demand are you prepared to grant it i for my part say that rather than grant it i would a voice in the meeting fight 
yes if necessary fight but i will do my utmost to persuade my fellow-countrymen to make the declaration that if necessary force will be used which if it was believed in would make it unnecessary to fight the transvaal boers know our power and the delegates know our power it is our will that they doubt if i could not persuade my fellow-countrymen that they meant to show that they would never grant such demands as these i would rather do what i should otherwise oppose with all my might withdraw from south africa altogether i am not so proud of our extended empire as to wish to preserve it at the cost of england refusing to discharge her duties if we have obligations we must meet them and if we have duties we must fulfil them and i have confidence in the english people that first or last they will make our government fulfil its obligations but there is much difference between first and last last is much more difficult than first and more costly than first the cost increases with more than geometrical progression there are people who say but the british nation will not say it leave us alone let these colonists and boers and natives whom we are tired of fight it out as best they can let us declare by our deeds or rather by our non-deeds that we will not keep our promise nor fulfil our duty such a course as that would be as extravagantly costly as it would be shamefully wrong this lacy fair policy tends to make things go from bad to worse until at last by a great and most costly effort and perhaps by a really bloody and destructive war we shall be obliged to do in the end at a greater cost and in a worse way that which we could do now it is not impossible to do it now a gentleman in the meeting said it was a question of fighting i do not believe this but though born a quaker i must admit that if there be no other way by which we can protect our allies and prevent the ungrateful desertion of those who helped us in the time of need than by the exercise of force i say force must be exercised readers will remark how extraordinarily prophetic are these words of mr forster spoken in eighteen eighty three the venerable and beloved lord shaftesbury as mr mackenzie calls him spoke as follows quote, this morning has been put into my hands the reply of the transvaal delegates to the aborigines protection society i read it with a certain amount of astonishment and of comfort too of astonishment that men should be found possessing such a depth of christianity such sentiments of religion such love for veracity and such regard for the human race as to put on record and to sign with their own hands such a denial of the atrocities and cruelties which have been recorded against them for so many years it is most blessed to contemplate the depth of their religious sentiments they express the love they bear to our lord and saviour and their desire to walk in his steps all this is very beautiful and if true is the greatest comfort ever given us concerning the native races i will take that document as a promise for the future that they will act upon these principles 
that they are Christians, and that they will act on Christian principles, and respect the rights of the natives. That is perhaps the most generous view to take of the matter. But, nevertheless, we shall be inclined to doubt, until we see, that they have put these principles into practice. Let me come to the laws of the Transvaal. It is a fundamental law of that state that there can be no equality either in church or in state between white and colored men. No native is allowed to hold land in the Transvaal with such a fundamental law. It is nothing more than a necessary transition to the conclusion that the colored people should be contemned as being of an inferior order and only fit for slavery. That is a necessary transition, and it is for Englishmen to protest against it, and to say that all men of whatever creed or race or color are equal in church and state and in the sight of God, and to assert the principle of civil and religious liberty whenever they have the opportunity. I have my fears at times of the consequences of democratic action, but I shall never feel afraid of appealing to the British democracy on a question of civil and religious liberty. That strikes a chord that is very deep and dear to every Briton everywhere. They believe, and their history shows that they act upon the belief that the greatest blessing here below that can be given to intellectual and moral beings is the gift of civil and religious liberty. Sensible of the responsibility we have assumed, we appeal to the British public, and I have no doubt what the answer will be. It will be that by God's blessing, and so far as in us lies, civil and religious liberty shall prevail among all the tribes of South Africa, to the end that they may become civilized nations, vying with us in the exercise of the gifts that God has bestowed upon us. End quote. Sir Henry Barclay, who had held the office of governor of the Cape Colony and of high commissioner for a number of years, said, quote, Apart from other considerations, it is essential in the interests of civilization and of commerce that the route to the interior of the dark continent should be kept in our hands. It has been through the stations planted by our missionaries all along it. As far as Matabela land, that the influence of the gospel has been spread among the natives, and that the way has been made safe and easy for the traveler and the trader. Can we suppose that these stations can be maintained if we suffer the road to fall within the limits of the Transvaal? We need not recall our melancholy experience of the past in this region. I would rather refer to the case of the Paris Evangelical Society, whose missionaries were refused leave only a short time ago, to teach or preach to the Basuto-speaking population within the Transvaal Territory. The Honorable K. Southey said, quote, I concur entirely with what has been said by the Right Honorable Mr. Forster with regard to slavery. It must be admitted that the institution does not exist in name, but in reality, Something very closely allied to it exists, for in that country there is no freedom for the colored races. The road to the interior must be kept open, not only for the purposes of trade, 
but also as a way by which the gospel may be carried from here to the vast regions beyond her majesty's possessions in that part of the world if we allow the transvaal state to annex a territory through which the roads to the interior pass not only will there be difficulties put in the way of our traders but the missionary also will find it no easy task to obey the injunction to carry the gospel into all lands and to preach it to all peoples sir fowell buxton presented the following thought which might with advantage be taken to heart at the present time Quote, we know how in the united states they have lately been celebrating the events that recall the time a century ago of the declaration of their independence i will ask you to consider what would have been the best advice that we could have given at that time to the government at washington do we not know that in regard to all that relates to the well-being of the country to mere matters of wealth and property the best advice to have given them would have been to deliver their country at once from all connection with slavery in the days when they formed her constitution sir william maarthur m p said quote, i have never seen in the mansion house a larger or more enthusiastic meeting and i believe that the feeling which animates this meeting is animating the whole country any course of action taken by her majesty's ministers towards the transvaal will be very closely watched i myself am for peace but i am also for that which maintains peace viz a firm and decided policy the poor chief mancarone having heard that the transvaal delegates would discuss questions of vital importance to his people left bechuanaland and went as far as cape town on his way to england to represent his case there lord derby however sent him word that he could not be admitted to the conference in london where the ownership of his own country was to be discussed mancarone then begged mr mackenzie to be his representative but was again told that neither personally nor by representative could he be recognized at the conference in downing street but that any remarks which mr mackenzie might make on his behalf would receive the attention of government blue book thirty eight forty one ninety two the first and great question which the transvaal delegates desired to settle in their own interests was that of the western boundary line amended by themselves which was represented on a map they were informed that their amended treaty was neither in form nor in substance such as her majesty's government could adopt there being certain chiefs who had objected on behalf of their people to be included in the transvaal and there being a strong feeling in london in favor of the independence of these natives or if they the natives desired it of their coming under british rule there was now brought before the delegates a map showing the addition of land which was eventually granted to the transvaal but the delegates could not agree to any such arrangement her majesty's government were giving away to them some twenty six hundred square miles of native territory concerning which there was no clear evidence that its owners 
wished to be joined to the Transvaal. But this was nothing to the Transvaal demand, as shown by a map which they put in, in which they included an additional block of 4,000 square miles. Not finding agreement with the government possible, the delegates then turned from that position and took up the question of the remission of the debt which the Transvaal owed to England, saying that the wishes of the native chiefs should be consulted first about the boundary line. This was a bold stroke. They were professing to be representing the interests of certain chiefs, which was not the case. Lord Derby telegraphed to the Cape on the 27th of February, 1884, the result of the protracted labors of the conference at Downing Street, mentioning, quote, British protectorate established outside the Transvaal with delegates' consent, debt reduced to quarter of a million, end quote. Footnote 17. When the Transvaal was annexed in 1877, the public debt of that country amounted to 301,727 pounds. Under British rule, this debt was liquidated to the extent of 150,000 pounds, but the total was brought up by a parliamentary grant, a loan from the Standard Bank, and sundries to 390 thousand four hundred and four pounds which represented the public debt of the transvaal on the thirty first december eighteen eighty this was further increased by monies advanced by the standard bank and english exchequer during the war until the eighth august eighteen eighty one during which time the country yielded no revenue to four hundred fifty seven thousand three hundred and ninety three pounds to this must be added an estimated sum of £200,000 for compensation charges, pension allowances, etc., and a further sum of £383,000, the cost of the successful expedition against Sekokami, that of the unsuccessful one being left out of account, bringing up the total public debt to over a million of which about eight hundred thousand pounds was owing to this country this sum the commissioners sir evelyn wood dissenting reduced by a stroke of the pen to two hundred and sixty five thousand pounds thus entirely remitting an approximate sum of five hundred or six hundred thousand pounds to the sum of two hundred sixty five thousand pounds still owing must be added say another hundred and fifty thousand pounds for sums lately advanced to pay the compensation claims bringing up the actual amount owing to england to about a quarter of a million report of assistant secretary to the british agent for native affairs blue book three nine one seven four six in the footnote to many persons it seems that the convention of 1884 rather than the convention of 1881 was the real blunder it is remarkable however as illustrating the small attention which south african affairs then received that no party controversy was aroused over this later instrument very soon afterwards however the question became acute owing to the action of mr kruger and then it must be remembered that Mr. Gladstone did not hesitate to appeal to the armed strength of the empire in order to defend British interests 
and to prevent the extension of Boer rule. That there was not war in 1884 was due only to the fact that Mr. Kruger at that time did not choose to fight. The raiders and filibusters were put down before by Sir Charles Warren's force, but Mr. Gladstone had taken every precaution in view of the contingency of a collision. The conditions laid down in the convention did not satisfy the delegates, although they formally assented to them. Their disappointment began to be strongly manifested. They had stoutly denied that slavery existed in their country. Their denial was challenged by the Secretary of the Aborigines Protection Society, who brought forward some very awkward testimonies and facts of recent date. It was suggested that President Kruger should forever silence the calumniators by demanding a commission of inquiry on this subject, which would take evidence within and round the Transvaal as they might see fit. The delegates took good care not to accept this challenge. The firmness of the British government at that moment was fully justified by the actual facts of the case, which came so strikingly before them, and their attitude was supported by public opinion, as far as this public opinion in England then existed. It was the Transvaal deputation itself which had most effectually developed it when they first arrived in London, though it was known they had many friends and that numbers of the public were generally quite willing to consider their claims. They sat for three months in conference with members of Her Majesty's government before coming to any decision. That decision was known as the London Convention of 1884. The displeasure of the Boer delegates matured after their return to the Transvaal and was expressed in a message sent by the Volksrad to our government not many months after the signing of the convention in London. In this document the Boers seemed to regard themselves as a victorious people, making terms with those they had conquered. It is interesting to note the articles of the convention to which they particularly object. In the telegram which was sent to His Excellency W. E. Gladstone, the Volksrad stated that the London Convention was not acceptable to them. They declared that, quote, modifications were desirable and that certain articles must be altered, end quote. They attached importance to the native question, declaring that, quote, the suzerain, Great Britain, has not the right to interfere with their legislature and that they cannot agree to Article 3, which gives the suzerain a voice concerning native affairs, nor to Article 13, by virtue of which natives are to be allowed to acquire land, nor to that part of Article 26, by which it is provided that white men of a foreign race living in the Transvaal shall not be taxed in excess of the taxes imposed on Transvaal citizens." It should be observed here that this reference to unequal and excessive taxation of foreigners in the Transvaal, pointing to a tendency on the part of the Boers to load foreigners with unjust taxation, was made before the development of the gold fields and the great influx of Uitlanders. The message of the Volksrad was finally summed up in the following words, quote, we object to the following articles, 15, 16, 26, and 27, 
because to insist on them is hurtful to our sense of honor. End quote. Sick. Now what are the articles to which the Boer government here objects, and has continued to object? Article 15 enacts that no slavery or apprenticeship shall be tolerated. Article 16 provides for religious toleration for natives and all alike. Article 26 provides for the free movement, trading, and residence of all persons, other than natives, conforming themselves to the laws of the Transvaal. Article 27 gives to all, natives included, the right of free access to the courts of justice. Putting the sense of honor of the Transvaal Volksrad out of the question, past experience had but too plainly proved that these articles were by no means superfluous. End of chapter 5 Recording by Bill Mosley, Llano County, Texas, USA